the oscar goes to tom hanks in philadelphia and the oscar goes to lupita nyong'o and the oscar goes to halle berry in monsters ball and the oscar goes to hilary swank in boys don't cry and the winner is marvelous meryl streep and the oscar goes to heath ledger in the dark Knight. and the oscar goes to olivia colman Welcome back to this week's episode of Academy Queens. I'm Malkovich, 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 Joey Gentili. And I will sell this house today. I'm Brandon Stanwyck. And this is your LGBT guide through the Academy Awards per decade, per category, and today, the class of 1999. Our season three finale, boy, we did it. Yeah, we did. <sighs> season three's been a little weird with us, because, like, you know, it was our first season that we've kind of been away from each other. Right. And it's definitely gotten, we've gone from working in studio together to I'm in studio and you're on your microphone. And now we've kind of built our own studios in our apartments. So we're still like together, but we're not in the actual studio anymore. Right. So it's been insane. It's been a, a change of pace. That's for sure. Yeah, we're making it work. Yeah, and but like now I'm all comfy and cozy because like I did make that comment like I was so jealous of you when you got to not go into the studio. I'm like this bitch ass could be on his couch naked as fuck with Javago next to him, and I'm just bitch ass naked in this dude's house. And I'm just kidding. Um, like I couldn't do it the way I wanted to, and now I'm here with a bowl of cheesy potatoes, mama's got her grape, I've got some Santelli, I'm on my couch, I'm in my own studio now, it's it's fantastic. Yeah, and I'm just Buffalo Bill, naked at my sewing machine, just churning away. <laughs> yes, and as I chew potatoes, I am so happy you just said that, because, bitch, with our guest today, I'm really, really excited, because I know he loves spooky season like I do, and it's the first day of autumn. Yeah, it is. I actually forgot about that until I got to work today, and someone reminded me. <laughs> How is today in uh, Maryland? It's it's a it's a good day. It's overcast and not too hot, not too humid. It's pretty perfect. Right. It's a nice yeah. uh, late September day. Yeah, we had overcast today, 71. It was fucking beautiful. It was like, bam, bitch, fall is here. I'm also not going to lie. I've been drinking kind of since 11 a.m., so there's good that. For you. There is that. Um, without further ado... Uh, I want to bring in our guest, and uh, like I said, I'm really, really excited because Spooky Season, he runs Halloweeners um, Horror Movie Podcast, and yeah, it's uh, without further ado, tell us who we got today behind door number one. Hi, it's me, Cody Derricks, just a little tumbleweed blowing in the wind, blowing into the studio, blowing right out as soon as I came. Blowing any gentleman that'll give him 20 bucks, you know, the huge. Happy fall. <laughs> yay welcome on thank you so much i'm really excited to be here yeah i i've been a fan of your podcast you know as you've seen on the twitter and i've been you know listening since the beginning so i'm very excited to contribute to the thoughts and discussions and rankings with my own little opinions really excited to have you we thank value you. your little opinions because uh, uh, you are also so you are also uh, an actor in addition to your podcasting and writing about films so you'll have a a different perspective than we will, perhaps. 
I maybe we'll see. <laughs> yes. And but, you know, we did have you obviously on film Twitter roundtable yes, because true. you do play such an important part in film Twitter critics. Oh, but wow. it's nice to have you on an actual episode like, you know, regular yeah, I'm season excited to be part of the main canon. Part of the main storyline. And again, what better day than the first day of fall? Do you know what I did this morning? I literally, to celebrate the first day, like, I finally got all my Halloween decorations up last night. I've been watching scary movies. I just saw on Netflix this amazing horror movie. It's called The Autopsy of Jane Doe. Actually scared the shit out of me. Have you guys seen it? Yep. No, but I want I, to. I like it a lot. Brian Cox is so damn good in it. Yes, and Emil Hirsch is in it, and it's like, it's it's a one-location horror film, and it's genuinely creepy. Like, I'm in my apartment. I know one else is here. Doors are locked. I'm watching it last night, and I actually looked over my shoulder. I was so creeped out. But going back to this morning, so decorations are up. I've got the Halloween lights going. I've got a pumpkin apple candle burning this morning. I've got my pumpkin spice mug with my pumpkin spice ice latte with a silicone jack-o'-lantern that I got from TJ Maxx. So I've got a pumpkin ice cube, and I'm wearing my pumpkin throw that I got from Marshalls. I am the pumpkin king. This is my time, bitches. You're so basic. Yes. And we I'm love so that about excited. you. I'm, I'm so excited. So how'd you guys bring in fall? <laughs> I went outside and screamed at a leaf. I don't know. There's not much. It feels still very summery here in Chicago, unfortunately. Um, and I have yet to properly decorate. Uh, my boyfriend, Zach, is very much a stickler for, I say this in the most loving way, the uh, the the proper beginnings and ends of season so now that it's finally fall i can begin to spookify our apartment but yeah i got my list of scary movies that i like to watch every year and ones i want to watch for the first time i'm very methodical in my horror enjoyment and i'm very very excited for it yeah i love that about you i love a good spooky season and we can all agree we all love paranorman and that brings that shit in because that was something we agreed on on that post that i put paranorman good good movie Big yeah. fan of Paranorman. Yep, huge fan. Um, gentlemen, we had the Emmys last night. Shall we go over really quick our thoughts? Okay. Little um, little little side note. Okay, I was a big fan of Tony Shalhoub winning. For some reason, that just made me really happy. I love him just in general. I've loved him since Monk. I used to watch that when I was a kid because I was a weird kid. And I think he's great on Maisel. So I was pretty delighted when he won. My biggest takeaway, the only one I really cared about, Michelle fucking Williams. I think she won for that scene where she wipes the tear and brings her hand all the way around her head. Truly, if that was her Emmy clip, I would have been like, yes, she fucking deserves it. That one and near the end of the series where she's going off about how she she created Bob Fosse and how she carried him on his back. I'm like, that is a role that she actually just became. Like she became Gwen Verdon. She didn't play Gwen Verdon, and I fucking love that. I would have – see, I haven't seen Fleabag, so I can't really talk about Phoebe Waller-Bridge's win here. But I was really rooting for Catherine O'Hara to pull an upset here, and I, then I, I would have loved Christina Applegate to win for Dead to Me. But other than that, the, my biggest takeaway was as long as Michelle Williams won, I was, I was going to be happy. You're so right about Catherine O'Hara. She's fucking amazing on Chiss Creek, but I also love Fleabag, so I was – I was happy either way. I was really, really shocked that anybody beat Julia. Obviously, that was, you know, a crazy upset. But, I mean, she did not deserve it. She's amazing. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm a horrible yep. person who hasn't watched any of those shows, so I don't really have a strong opinion, but I was very happy for Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Uh, I know people love her and love that show, so I was happy for her and happy for her fans to see that recognition happen. Absolutely. Especially for a show in the, its second season to finally get some recognition. Like, usually there's that sophomore slump, and it, a lot of, last night, someone tweeted it actually this morning, the win yesterday reminded me a lot of when 30 Rock won for its second season. Like, it just be, would become like a phenomenon after that. So hopefully it does. Good for them to flee bad. I have got to see it, but I hear it's good. Oh, it's so good. And, and, and I mean, the way the show is structured, unless they do a crazy rewrite, that will be the final season. Now, it's not a spoiler. That's just, you know, what they've said as much. So this is really their last chance to give any recognition to it. So I'm glad they did. Oh, no shit. Yeah. Well, goddamn. Well, boys, shall we get started on what we came here to do? Okay. Yes, please. All right. So, uh, 1999, supporting actresses, your nominees were... Tony Collette in The Sixth Sense. Angelina Jolie in Good Interrupted. Catherine Keener in Being John Mandelich. Samantha Morton in Sweet and Low Down. Chloe Sebony in Boys Don't Cry. All right, starting off with uh, who should have been last year's Best Actress winner for Hereditary, Tony Collette as Lynn Sear in The Sixth Sense. This is her sole nomination. Um, and going into Oscar night, Tony was a surprise nom because she had no precursors whatsoever. Um, and in The Sixth Sense, she plays the mother of Haley Joel Osment, who was also nominated that year. Um, a mother discovering and trying to figure out what's going on with her son. Is he medically um, medically hurting? Is he crazy in the form of just his mind is completely gone? Um, and trying to put the pieces together on what exactly this gift or curse is that her son has. Um, Cody, since you are guessing with us, why don't you start us off with the honor of the first one tonight? I am so glad you're starting with Miss Colette. First in the lineup, first in my heart. I, I, I love this performance. First of all, I think it's incredible how young she is in real life while filming this versus not how old she has to play, but she gives the character this kind of amazing dichotomy of she could be in her 30s, she could be in her actual 20s like Tony Collette was. She was 27 when she filmed this. She really brings the weight of a single mother who's had to raise her son by herself for the past nine years to this role. It's it's one of those performances where you see the kind of weight of time on them, both in like their physicality and the way they respond to things. And it's just so incredibly moving how much she cares for her son. And it would be so easy for her to have played this role uh, kind of like trashy, for lack of a better word, or in any way kind of... Um, not the the caring way that she has because she's a character who you know the suspicion is at one point that she's hurting her son and you have to know as the audience that there's no possible way she could be actually doing that and she brings that weight to it and lastly i mean the car scene alone at the end where spoiler she it learns that her son can 
listen to uh, sees dead people is one of the most perfect emotional moments in film history for me personally. It makes me cry every single time. It is so good. I could go on, but I, I will pass it on to somebody else. I, I love this performance. Brandon. Yeah. That, um, the, she saw you dance scene oh when God. the son reveals that Tony Collette's mother was in fact at her dance recital and saw her dance before she died is just so moving. It's a really beautiful moment. Uh, for both Tony Collette and Haley Joel Osment. And as far as age goes, I think Tony Collette's the perfect age here. It's kind of personal in a way, but the, the age difference between Tony Collette and Haley Joel Osment is only like, it's like 16 years. And that's the exact gap between me and my mom. My mom had me really young. And so it always made sense to me that she would be this young. And whenever I hear people criticize that Tony Collette is miscast simply because of her age, I just instantly reject that because I think she's perfect here. You really see the relationship between her and her son and how much she has struggled and so hard, how hard she is trying to raise him on her own because I witnessed that myself in a, in a different context, of course, but it totally works for me and makes sense. And Tony Collette is just so freaking good here. Like there's um there's that scene early on with the bumblebee pendant when it's her mother's old bumblebee pendant that she finds in the drawer and she's confronting her son at like the breakfast table about taking it. And the camera like slowly tracks over from a two shot into just seeing the son. And all you see of Tony is one hand like holding a fork or something. And the focus is on Haley Joel Osment, but Tony Collette is acting so thoroughly through her one hand in that entire scene that you almost don't even need to see her face. Like that's how fully she is playing this character and in that scene in particular. And I think she is so strong in this and uh, I'm a big fan of it. Joey, how do you feel? I agree. You know, we've got this weird, like I'm 27 now. So when I even now watch that movie, Okay, let me back this up a bit. Do you guys, like, remember being in, like, the first grade and seeing the eighth graders and being like, wow, they're so tall, they look so big. But when you get to the eighth grade, you're like, this ain't shit. Like, you feel like you haven't, you're not what you remember seeing the eighth graders. Am I making sense with that? Yeah, that makes total sense. Every time, every person above you looks older than you think they are, and then when you get to that age, it's like, oh, this is nothing. (laughs) Right. So now I'm 27, looking at Tony Collette, who when filming this was 27, and to me I'm like, God, she's still just like I don't feel like I don't I don't feel like she's 27, but I do buy it in the way because I was the same age as Haley Joel Osment, and my, and my mom was the same age, being a single mom when this movie came out. So I feel it in that way. Um, I also think uh, half of not feeling that is due to our cultural society with film because i mean greece is a great example look at these late 20 something early 30 early 30s playing teenagers you know um colette is a great example of what child's play remake did this past summer casting aubrey plaza as a 29 year old with a 13 year old i mean that shit happens we're not used to seeing people in their actual age in these roles so it's really refreshing to see tony colette here I know I just babbled on for a minute with there, but I was really trying to get that point across. Um, Regarding Colette's acting, I think it's really good. I think it's subtle acting. um, And it's subtle because her face is doing all the acting, and that's what Tony Colette's brand is, 
whether it's Muriel's wedding or, you know, the sixth sense or hereditary, the United States of Terra. She's such a facial actor that I just got to give props or props or due and props or due in almost every single role she plays. Um, I, I really like this nomination. I think it's a good one. You know, whether it is the, you've had enough pot roast dinner scene where she freaks the fuck out on her kid or the, you know, I saw you dance and you get that emotional turn from her. I just, I think it's really good. Um, I am worried about something and I don't, I won't bring it up until the rankings, but I got to say out of a 10, this is a nine for me. Yeah. I'm pretty, uh, pretty stoked about this performance. I don't know how much, I don't know if I have anything else to say without just rambling on, but, um, pretty thrilled with it. Yeah, that's Same. the thing. It's like such a cool nomination. I'm surprised it even happened. I mean, the the whole Oscar love with the Sixth Sense is incredible in its own right, given their history of horror. And the way it was applauded by them is just wonderful. Yeah, it's funny, too, because you hear a lot of people talk about 1999 and everyone, which I don't get. We'll talk to we'll talk about being John Malkovich here in a second. But like Cameron Diaz should have had a spot. I don't agree with that. But um People seem to blame it on one of the other nominees, not realizing that Colette was literally the one that took Diaz's spot, but she doesn't get shit for it because people love this performance. Yeah, totally. So mm-hmm. testament, testament of good acting, yo. Anything else? It should not be her only nomination, but that's that's the last thing I'll say about that. Oh, agreed. That's pretty true. I frequently forget that this is her only nomination because she has done so much great stuff. Yep. Agreed. Alrighty, moving on to this year's winner, Angelina Jolie as Lisa in Girl Interrupted. This is her first of two nominations. Um, going into Oscar night, she had the Golden Globe win, the Critics' Choice win, and the SAG win for Best Supporting Actors. And in Girl Interrupted, again, Angelina plays Lisa, who is she is the girl born on the wrong side of the tracks. She is a sociopath. She's manipulative. She really just gets under everyone's skin she's kind of what i would have wanted from billy and one floor of the cuckoo's nest um had billy quote unquote grown some balls because lisa has some balls here uh, brandon what do you think about angelina jolie and girl interrupted so lisa as a character is pretty much a hurricane incarnate and it doesn't surprise me that she received so much attention for this performance because it's one of those really big performances that never really lets you forget that she's in the movie that seems to capture the attention of critics and um, movie award ceremonies. Um, It's a fun performance. Uh, It definitely uh, is very loud and in your face often. And um, yeah, I mean, that, that pretty much sums it up for me. I mean, I'm not really thrilled with the performance it's not my favorite performance even in that film um probably not the one that i would have nominated myself but uh it's definitely a thrilling performance i'll give her that uh cody how do you feel about jolie so i went into this rewatch i haven't seen the movie in like 10 years i was expecting to not love it because i didn't i remember not loving the movie and also this performance and this win are not super loved in like online rewatch <laughs> criticism community um but i gotta say i was 
pretty impressed with it. I agree with Brandon that it's a fun performance. It's definitely, you know, not boring to watch. And it reminded me of the kind of roles that usually men are given and men win awards for. I was I thought of like Nicholson in Cuckoo's Nest or even something like Heath Ledger in The Joker, that kind of unpredictable manic energy that is very, you know, they love to throw awards at that kind of stuff, and I can see why one. I don't hate it. I actually think it's actually um, a pretty well-balanced mix of mania and manipulation in a way that uh, is appropriate for the character. I don't really know what you could do differently with this character. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think it deserves all the hate it gets personally. It's not, you know, one of my favorite wins of all time, but I do enjoy it. Um, yeah, I, I like this. I think this is a, this is a fun role. I think this role could have been really throwaway and over the top if it had been in the wrong person. Um, I do want to comment though, uh, take this with a grain of salt. Cause I don't think it's ever been confirmed. IMDb trivia lists that Rose McGowan was a finalist for this role. And I just think of what could have been. And I think Rose McGowan, in a way, would make more sense for me as Lisa, because 1999 also gave us her as Courtney in Jawbreaker, which I defend as should have been an Oscar nomination for Rose. I don't know how do you guys feel about that. Um, but I think Jolie, what she does here, is really good. Um, she's not my favorite of the supporting ladies. I personally would have put Whoopi Goldberg in the mix, um, even over Brittany Murphy. Um, but I, I do like this. Um, I just, I wanted more from her character than just being that stone cold bitch in the long run. And I think the lack of arc for her and redemption is what hurts it for me. Um, but yeah, all around, I think it's, I think it's fine. I don't have anything major complaining about it. So yeah, that's pretty much my feelings on it. I, I agree with Cody. I don't hate it. And, um, you can tell that Lisa is like, a devilishly smart character and Lee is a very smart performer and I think that comes through in her portrayal of Lisa and so she is a very fun character to watch and to watch her watch others and manipulate others and really control a lot of the action of what's going on in this hospital in a very sort of hands-off mind control kind of way because she has a really potent influence over almost everybody, including some of the um, the Whoopi Goldberg type characters and the you know non-patients, if you will. So this is a I don't hate on this performance, but um, it's it is more interesting than I think a lot of people are willing to give it credit for these days. Yeah, it's even interesting in her physicality, like the way she moves. She kind of almost manically floats like an angry ghost throughout this hospital in a way that you know that she has control over absolutely everybody there including those who on paper have control over her and have authority over her and i think she imbues that with a sense of uh, like weight that is realistic and not over the top you guys were pretty quiet with the rose mcgowan stuff so I, I mean how do you guys feel about the thought of her playing this role instead uh i've only seen her in scream unfortunately so i don't know enough about her acting abilities beyond that movie um, uh, I don't really know, but I, I, watching this performance, you know, if I was Jolie looking at the text on paper, again, I don't know what more you could do with it than what she does. I mean, that's, you know, it, there's no way to know for sure. It's just speculation, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that sense, I think it's a good call, the casting, especially, you know, having seen her work in the 20 years since we have the benefit of hindsight, knowing what she's also able to do in really different roles, like Changeling, for example, so we know that this is not just, you know, 
her default performance style, which I think makes it all the more impressive. As far as McGowan goes, I'd be willing to watch it, definitely. I've only seen a few of her movies. I've never, like, watched Charmed or any of her other her other stuff beyond uh, Scream and the stuff she's done with um, Rodriguez. But um, I, of course, know her as her public persona from the past couple years. And so I think this is a character she really could have tapped into if given the role back in 99. So, yeah, I'd definitely be into checking out her version of Lisa, see what what different she would do that didn't make Wait, any do, sense does you know this mean, mean neither of you have seen jawbreaker i have not i feel like i saw it in like high school or middle school but i don't remember it whatsoever uh, gay cards revoked no i don't want to be straight that's brandon's had his revoked twice already this season wow yep, you know i don't believe in that thing i know <laughs> i know all right moving on yeah <laughs> Cody's just like, no, no, not pussy. Um, the next person we have up is Catherine Keener as Maxine Lund in Being John Malkovich. This is her first of two nominations. Uh, going into Oscar night, she had a Golden Globe nomination, a New York Film Critics Association win, and a SAG nomination for all uh, best supporting. Um, in Being John Malkovich, uh, Keener again plays Maxine, who is the snooty office worker who totally clock blocks John Cusack against himself with her only to fall for him when he's in the eyes of John Malkovich or in his brain to then fall into this weird love triangle with Cameron Diaz's character again, when she's in the brain of John Malkovich, which by the way, she becomes like a CFO to sell John Malkovich's brain to people. It's a really fucking weird movie. Um, Cody, what do you think of it? So I know that what you were saying before about people think Cameron Diaz should have been nominated, uh, not to pit women against women, but that's kind of the whole point of this podcast. If I had to pick only one performance from being John Malkovich to get this uh, nomination, I would definitely have picked Keener. I think they absolutely made the right choice. Um, I really love her in a not dissimilar way from Jolie's character, her manipulation and her ability to use her sexuality as a weapon to just, she knows exactly what men think of her and um, she doesn't, you know, give them the time of day, but she also still uses them to their, her advantage. I think she's totally believable in that aspect. She's very sexy in this role. She's um, really, you can tell the character's intelligence uh, just in every line reading. It's, it's a really good performance. Brandon. So I'm, I'm really happy we have Cody here right now because I always feel at odds with most of film people these days because I also think that Keener is the right choice if we were going to pick one of the two supporting ladies. I think Keener is fabulous in being John Malkovich. Uh, This movie is queer as fuck, and Catherine Keener, I think, really taps into all the things that Spike Jones is really exploring here. Uh, Spike Jones and Charlie Kaufman, of course. Catherine Keener is just everything in this. I mean, yeah, she's sexy. She's smart. She's manipulative. Manipulative. I can never say that word. And um, I just find her so enchanting in this movie. She's one of those performers who I'm constantly gravitating toward whenever she's on screen. And I just kind of want to be in her presence and have her just scoff at me. I don't know why, because I feel like she would. And it would be great and be like the highlight of my life. And... I think she's fantastic. This is another performance. I don't know what to say without just rambling on forever, just saying nonsense. Uh, Joey, how do you feel about her? 
I also agree, Keener over Diaz. Um, Yay. I, wow. I, personally, I personally don't get the Diaz love. It's a very odd, um, odd choice to me. Um, I think Diaz is good. I will say, I just think it's a little bit. People are just very. People are always excited to see a really beautiful star put on an ugly wig, which sounds dismissive. She's good otherwise, but I don't think it's better than Keener. Oh, I agree. I agree. Um, regarding Keener, though, I love, you know, I love me a good comedy nomination. This is a really good one. Um, I, whether, I was rewatching this and I actually put on our Twitter, which, going back to see this, I could not believe how much of Chelsea Handler and Catherine Keener looked like in this movie. Um, mostly Chelsea during her Chelsea Lately heyday. Um, it just seems so identical in the type of person, honestly, that they are. I don't know if that sounds bad for Chelsea Handler, but it's just the way she came off in those days. Um, and as a whole, I think Keener hits every note perfectly. Even the simplest things, like when John Cusack's character is complaining about not wanting to live and she's just smoking her cigarette and opens up the window and just like, there it is. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> I'm like, damn, that's so fucking good. Um, I I really like it. I I think there. I don't think she's got a dull moment, and I think her her portrayal of Maxine is just so mysterious that it makes me want more, but not enough to truly get to know her because I'm just like, you need to keep this Regina George esque, and obviously, obviously this is premium girls like Regina George esque thing about you and keep it going because I'm into it. I like it a lot. When it comes to Diaz, I think the um, I don't think she's bad, first of all, but I think the reason that people gravitate toward her is she, I hate using this word, but I feel like she's the more likable of the two characters, and she's the one people sympathize with more, and perhaps she's the one people relate to a little bit more, like her love of the animals and things like that. Keener is definitely a little more um, cold and standoffish, which I yes. live for personally, but I can see why a lot of people would not. And they would gravitate more toward the warmer character, which would be Diaz. Um, but yeah, like I said, I'm definitely more into the the mysterious bitch type character. And uh, that's Keener, and I'm here for it. And I love, too, how much she wears the total late 90s dark lip. Like, do you guys remember that look from, like, the late 90s? Yeah, where it was it's like very... It fits right into the New York setting in the late 90s. It's perfect. Yeah. If you were a brunette, you wore a dark lip. That was just, like, my mom did that. So when I see dark lip, like, brown lipstick, I'm like, oh, it's my mother. Um, and that's what it just reminded me of. Kudos to Keener. I will say, too, I'm really glad that she does get a second nomination, even if it's for, a, well, we'll talk about it in 2005. I, not to preview, but I truly always forget that she has a second nomination. Yeah. Most people do. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> okay, next up we have Samantha Morton as Hattie in Sweet and Lowdown. This is her first of two nominations. Speaking of nominations, people seem to forget about. Um, going into Oscar night, she had a Golden Globe nomination for supporting an LA Film Critics and a National Society of Film Critics nomination. In Sweet and Lowdown, again, Samantha Lee's Hattie, a mute woman who falls in love with Sean Penn's character who is... I don't know the word I'm looking for to describe him. He's a guitarist who kind of fools everybody. He's an asshole. Um, yeah, we'll just use that. He's a total. He's like a con man. Yes, there know. we go. Con man. Thank you. Like uh, he's a con man musician. 
and strings poor little Hattie along, even though she sees some success in the movies. And Brandon, what do you think about Samantha Morton? Um, I think she's okay. Um, I honestly am not super thrilled uh, with this um, nomination or this film. It doesn't really do a whole lot for me. And when it's over, I kind of feel like the character is more of a, a tool than a fully rounded person. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Maybe I really just wasn't feeling the film. But I mean, Samantha Morton's fine. She she does what she can. I think with the material, it just it doesn't feel like those those fiery Woody Allen characters we've been getting these last couple decades here on the show. It just feels like she doesn't have all that much to do for me. Uh, Cody, how do you feel about her? Uh, yeah, I I think it's a good performance. I agree with not being able to given uh, not being given much to do, and that's not even a comment on her having no spoken dialogue. It's just I agree her character doesn't really have much agency outside of the moment where she gets a film career for a second. I don't know. Um, I think she has some good physical comedy moments that are really subtle and subdued, which is appropriate given her character. There's one moment where she walks through a plate of glass without oh. reacting in any way, and that's really funny. That was the... I was going to mention that, too. Yeah, sorry. That was the one note I took for this entire performance, because it was the one part where I was like, oh, that's, you know, that's that's worth mentioning. Uh, it's not a bad performance. I, I, I To preview what I'm about to say, for the next nomination, I think these are all... It's a pretty strong lineup. Uh, but I... I'm a little surprised this was nominated, to be honest, given how good of a film year this was in general. Yeah, that's all. Not bad. Not great. Um, This is one of those, like, Brenda Vaccaro, Sylvia Miles, um, even Jane Alexander and All the President's Men styled nominations, where it's such a small role, um, but was big enough to, like get noticed and I honestly have to blame it on that glass scene where she walks through because her physical comedy in that scene alone is on point. Um, I also think it, I mean, obviously she's doing facial acting here being a mute. I think it's good. Um, I'm not thrilled with it because I just meh all around with Woody Allen, but there's room for everybody, apparently. <laughs> so. Game is gone. Yay, Samantha Morton. I yeah, mean, I, also, it doesn't help that it's not a great movie. That it really was kind of a slog. It was. I didn't really get the point of it. It's an aggressively mediocre movie. Like this is not a very thrilling movie, in my opinion. Um, I think Samantha Morton can do better. I mean, of course, we've seen it. I mean, if you're, you know, her career, the, the movies she's done since Sweden, uh, Lowdown. I, yeah, I just think she wasn't given very much to do here other than a couple of, you know, special moments that stand out in a way. But as a whole, I, I just don't think this character is uh, fully developed from the page. And so I think she's just, uh, doing what she can and she was memorable enough to get in here and I'm happy for Samantha Morton, but it's, it's just all right for me. I truly actually really enjoyed Uma Thurman in this movie though. I will say that. I thought she did a really good job with her small role as Blanche. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Good talk. 
Um, okay. Well, there it is. <laughs> All right, guys. Moving on to our final nominee. We have Miss Chloe Sevigny as Lana Tizel in Boys Don't Cry. This is, which I can't believe this is her sole nomination. Um, going into Oscar night, she kind of really was one of the two front runners in this next to Jolie. She was nominated for the Golden Globe, won the Independent Spirit, the LA Film Critics, and the National Society of Film Critics Awards, while just nominated for the New York Film Critics and the SAG Award. In Boys Don't Cry, again, Chloe plays Lana, where uh, she plays the girlfriend of Brandon Tina, played by uh, Hilary Swank, which we'll get to in a bit. Um, and in the film, it's depicted that it's very important to mention that in the film, it's depicted as Lana being a girl who doesn't care about Brandon being transgendered, um, despite the time setting it's in and truly accepts and loves him as who he actually is and is heartbroken when Brandon is killed. Um, Cody, take us off with this one. Okay, I like I said, I think this is an overall strong lineup. There's not a bad performance in the bunch, which is, you know, obviously, therefore, I really like this performance. Um, I think she's a perfect encapsulation of the kind of uh, Gen X mindset of the time. She gives a performance that's very um, she you can tell she really wants to get out of the town. She's constantly like rolling her eyes and acting aloof in a very 90s way. But she still has moments of excitement, like when she's talking about uh having sex with Brandon for the first time. And it really, it's a very um, of its time nomination. And I'm uh, happy it happened because it's a, an acting style and a type of character that is easy to look over when it comes to these kind of uh, award shows and stuff. Um, I also think she has a good drunk scene, which is always challenging. The first scene that she has with Brandon alone, where they're at a convenience store and she's realistically playful and a little bit, you know, mean. I, I think it's overall a good performance. And I, I really quite enjoy it. So I think Chloe Sevigny is just great um, in this and just in everything. Uh, she always kind of feels like she's from another planet to me. She's one of those actresses, and I think that really works here in Boys Don't Cry. It's like Cody was saying, this character kind of feels like she also doesn't really belong in this community in a way. Like she was born into it, and she's trying to gel as best she can in a way, but at the same time, she also kind of wants to break away from it. And Chloe has a real sincerity in her performance. She's, it's, this is a performance where you, it feels like she's a real person. Like it doesn't feel like an actor playing a character. It feels very lived in in that way. And it just, it reads as super authentic to me. Uh, Joey, how do you feel about Chloe? Chloe Sevigny is one of my favorite actresses. I, um, I kind of make the, make the joke that there's, there's, four different styles of acting. There's method acting, there's stage acting, there's what I call the, the switch acting, which are those actors who can um, make you believe that your dog died, but as soon as it's called cut, just switches back into their everyday persona. And then there's Chloe Sevigny, um, because Chloe doesn't fit in any type of those other three acting ca categories, in my opinion. And I think what she's doing here is really, really good. Um, she truly feels it. The film itself feels like it's like Kimberly Pierce shot this, like in my opinion, like a documentary. Um, so it feels very authentic and very lived in. And Chloe feels like 
like her character of Lana just feels like she literally just lives there and just really was like, all right, action. I'm just going to record whatever the hell comes out of your mouth. Um, and I think it's great. I think my biggest complaint about this, though, and I've always had the complaint about this, is that in the end, when Brandon is shot, the, it, the most unauthentic part of that performance is her reaction to it. You know, she she's just crying there for a second, laying next to Brandon. I don't know. I It's just, it doesn't sit right with me. Like, if someone that you love is murdered in front of you, I'd be going batshit crazy. And whether that was to the direction of Pierce or just Chloe's choice, I'm not sure. But that has always bothered me. Um, but I think this is good. I like it. You're right about it being, like, its own kind of performance style. And in a way, it feels really ahead of its time. It kind of reminds me of the kind of modern acting styles of somebody like Timothy Chalamet or Kristen Stewart, this very subdued lived in performance that feels like you're not even watching an acting. It's you're absolutely right about that. It doesn't look sound like she's saying dialogue. Like Joey, you hinted at, it sounds like she like Kimberly Pierce started rolling the camera and Chloe Sevigny just started speaking. Like it doesn't feel like she's saying rehearsed dialogue whatsoever. Um, as far as the ending goes with her reaction, um, I think people are very complicated and there's multiple ways to process emotions. And I think what she does in the end works. Um, it didn't read as unbelievable to me. Um, so I don't remember it like vividly, but um, I think it works for me. Cody, how do you feel about that ending with her reaction? I kind of agree with Brandon. I don't remember it sticking out to me as a moment of inauthenticity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I can't really comment because I don't you know, fully <laughs> remember it, if that makes sense. Um, but I guess if I don't remember it specifically, that means it didn't bug me. So, yeah, yeah it didn't really bother me. Heard, heard. Um, Brandon, I can't – I'm trying to think back to everything we've done so far. Is this the first time we have a gay film up at the Oscars? How are you defining gay film? Gay themed, like queer in any aspect. I mean, uh, I mean, outside, I mean, Victor Victoria is pretty gay. I mean, but... Women in Love is kind of queer. The color purple is secretly queer. True. Julia is pretty queer. Man, I don't know why for some reason talking about this feels like the first time to me that we're really hitting on an LGBT film. But uh, I, I have we've done it. Seen it, but World According to Garb features a trans character, right? Yep. That's. Jesus, I don't know why this feels so fresh to me today. Man, we've already done that, too. That makes me feel like a terrible host to this. Anyway, okay. thank you. I'm having a moment. I'm sorry. Okay. So we're moving on to leads now? Mm-hmm. All right. So your nominees for Best Actress in a Leading Role in 1999 were... Annette Bening in American Beauty. Let's start off with our winner for the year, Hilary Swank, winning for Boys Don't Cry. This is her first of two nominations and her first of two wins. Going into this, she was pretty much a frontrunner because she wins the Golden Globe 
the Boston film critics, Chicago film critics, Dallas film critics, LA and New York film critics, the Indie Spirit Award, the National Board of Review, and the Las, and the Las Vegas film critics, as well as being nominated um, at the MTV Movie Awards with the National Society of Film Critics and at the Teen Choice Awards. And she would go on to be nominated with the BAFTAs and the London Film Critics the next year. In Boys Don't Cry, Hilary Swank plays Brandon Tina, a young man in rural Nebraska struggling to live and love as a transgender person. So, Cody, thoughts on Hilary Swank and Boys Don't Cry? I can't say enough good about this performance. I think it's truly a marvel. I, I rewatched this movie, and it had been a few years since I saw it, and it really shook me in a way the entire movie overall obviously and that's a big thanks to kimberly pierce's stunning directing but i i I was really blown away by this performance and i was ready to find it problematic because it is um a cis woman playing a trans man it's you know not a, a part taken by a trans person so you know that in 2019 is something that is obviously a topic for discussion but i think what hillary does with this character is it imbues it with such realistic humanity and emotion that it is hard not to be stunned by her performance um i I think she is really good at portraying a portrayal of heteronormative masculinity in her physicality she doesn't really allow herself a lot in terms of expressive movement and physicality which is in again typical heteronormative male culture it's about what you don't do rather than what you do in terms of your emotion and your physicality you suppress the emotion you don't you know, move, don't take up space really. Uh, and in that way, it's a really appropriately constrained performance. There's the scene where she's being, uh, where, where uh, they're being interrogated uh, after the uh, rape sequence. And you can tell that Hillary's body in this scene wants to weep and cry, but the character of Brandon is not allowed to show that emotion as a man especially as somebody who's trying the hardest they can to fit into a specific type of masculinity i again i could go on and on about this performance but i really think it's one of the more uh incredible wins for this category joey uh i agree with cody i think this is a stunning stunning portrayal of of a man taken too soon um it is also a heartbreaking story this and matthew shepherd have um, you know, as a gay person and, and as a part of the LGBT community, I'm very aware of who came before me and what people had to do so I would not have to. And Brandon Tina is one of those people, like I said, like Matthew Shepard, who sacrificed their life not willingly to get to where we're at today. And I think Hilary Swank's portrayal here is just remarkable. Um, It's heartbreaking. It's revolutionary. It's stunning. It's, 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 there's joyous moments and there are those sad moments and every moment that you're with Swank as Brandon, you're just, you're, you're, you feel like you're there. And again, just talking about, from when we were talking about Chloe Seven just moments ago, it's just, it feels like a documentary where you're just, you're there witnessing it in real time. Now I am opposite though, with Cody on this, which I'm glad that we also have another gay person on here to also give a third opinion on. I'm okay with whoever's right for the role, taking the role. I don't 
think gay has to be played by gay. I don't think lesbian has to be played by lesbian. Straight has to be played by straight. I personally don't like that because then that limits gay people to only gay roles. And that's not acting. That to me is just putting gay people, trans people, lesbians in a box. And I think that does more harm in the long run than anything. Um, So I'm okay with anyone playing the role if they're right for the role. Um, That's just me. And yeah, um, Brandon, what do you think? It's crazy to me that Hilary Swank isn't one of those actors with at least a half dozen Oscar nominations by now. This performance feels like a performance that should have kicked off um, a career like that. And that is no way Hilary Swank's fault. I know she is very much at the mercy of the industry that she's in. But this performance is truly astounding. Um, This is a deeply complex portrayal that she's doing here in Boys Don't Cry. And it's it's really moving. And I think this this performance really reads because you can see how Brandon is being pulled in every which way in this movie. Like there's the life that he wants to live. And then there's the life he knows he can have and the life he wants to have, but thinks he can't. And then there's all the stuff that he's afraid of. And there's so many layers to this character and you really feel how trapped he is and how scared he is in a way how much how badly he wants to live his life but growing up in this setting that's not exactly an option but he's gonna do what he wants to regardless and take the risk and ultimately it ends tragically as happens with tragic characters uh in that way i mean it's hard to really describe how i feel about it honestly i mean you guys did a really good job i don't want to echo everything you all said but this is definitely a, a movie that sticks with me and swank's performance resonates off the screen for me and i think this is a really beautiful performance yeah regardless of uh appropriateness or non-appropriateness of casting it is hard to argue that you feel the humanity and the the liveliness of this performance and this character it's truly stunning yeah and it's again really sad with what the actual person had to go through and it did you guys know that brandon is buried as tina brandon yeah i saw that his headstone reads daughter sister friend like even in death he wasn't given the respect outside of this movie and then the community now i mean from from his own family wasn't even respected and that just breaks my fucking heart yeah like you were saying joey it's a testament to how in the uh the 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 turbulent history of queer people uh you know forced to live in a heteronormative restrictive society that people literally have to die for the rest of the world to even consider them human. And in this case, they didn't even consider this person to be the type of person they consider themselves to be. It's, it's a, it's a tragic story. It's beautiful. It's political. It's necessary. It's really incredible. I think the testament to these types of movies are talking about it 20 years later. Exactly. And being just as almost, 
wordless to put or not being able to, yeah, not being able to put into words your true feelings about what this movie makes you feel. Because I feel like we're all, even though, yeah, we're all like, yeah, it's great. It's amazing. We can't really put into words on what it does for us on an emotional level. And that's true testament to filmmaking, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm not a very emotional person in general. This movie literally had me shaking at the end of it. It's it's Titanic, practically. Yeah. Yeah, props to Kimberly Pierce for getting this movie made in 1999. I mean, it's crazy to me that she also doesn't have a stunning career where she's a household name and everything like that, because this, this is a triumph. I think this film, and especially for the time in which it was made. Yeah. I would have nominated her for best director in a heartbeat. I think her direction is incredible. Like you said, it gives it this documentary feel. The lighting is really stark and kind of highlights in a way how remote these characters are, how they can get away with anything they want. I mean that like prolonged rape scene alone, it's, it's not, it's in the middle of nowhere and they get away with it and the town supports that. It's really stunning work. I will say not to get PC here. Um, I, I when I revisited this a couple weeks ago, it was on DVD from the library, and I watched the behind the scenes of it. And I Pierce identifies as a lesbian, right? Like she she's out about her lesbianism. I believe she's queer. I'm not sure exactly what how she labels herself, but I'm, I'm pretty sure she's queer. Okay, so in the spectrum of the community, she's in there somewhere. And even on the behind-the-scenes features, herself and Swank keep referring to Brandon as she. And that kind of bugs me a lot. Um, mm. Because every time they talked about Brandon, Swank and Pierce always referred to Brandon as she, while Chloe always said he. And it was like, damn, like Chloe was even woke at that time when being woke wasn't, you know, in, in a way. Um, so that, that for some reason bugs me a lot. I think that's, uh, not to go into it too much, but I think that's part of why I think, uh, with trans actors, especially it's important to cast nowadays, especially very consciously, because I think part of the reason they probably are misgendering, uh, Brandon in the behind the scenes footage is because it's played by a cisgender woman, which just kind of leads to, uh, the assumption of uh, a trans man perhaps as a woman in disguise in a way, which is what, you know, more ignorant factions of society view people like that as I imagine. So I think that kind of is a testament to perhaps how casting needs to be considered now. I'm not an expert on it, obviously, uh, but that's probably what I would uh, say in regards to that. Uh, props to Chloe for being <laughs> ahead right. of the curve, clearly. <laughs> Right, yeah, right. I'm, I'm pretty much with Cody on that one. Third, third. Okay, uh, next we have Annette Benning, nominated for American Beauty. This is her second of four nominations, having been up for the Grifters in 1990. Going into this, she wins at BAFTA with the London Film Critics at SAG, and she also is part of the SAG Ensemble win. She is also recognized at the Golden Globes with the Chicago Film Critics and with the Las Vegas Film Critics. And in American Beauty, Annette Benning plays Carolyn Burnham, a sort of neurotic and ardent real estate agent uh, and mother who is obsessed with perfection. And God damn it, she will sell this house today. Joey, how do you feel about Annette Benning and American Beauty? 
<sighs> you know the Met Gala, how the theme was camp? <laughs> I would have showed up as Annette Benning in American Beauty because, baby, this is camp, camp, camp. And I love every second of this. She is just so goddamn two scoops of cuckoo kachoo, and she sells it, and I love it. You know, it's so funny because we did talk about her in our season premiere, and we were getting two wildly different performances at the book ending this decade with Annette Benning. And I'm here for everything. I think American Beauty is one of the most overrated movies of all time. But God damn it, if I don't love me some Annette Benning every time I watch it, if I watch it, it's for her. Um, whether she's complaining about spilling beer on the sofa or the way she's fucking Peter Gallagher <laughs> in the motel with the full-on spread eagle with her head or with her legs above her head, I'm into everything she's doing here, and I enjoy this way too much. I also am not a fan of this movie. I think it is uh, kind of a mess. Uh, <laughs> and I think part of the problem with that is that the direction and the performances aren't sure completely what the tone or purpose of the screenplay is in a way. That being said, I think Annette Bening is one of the few aspects of the movie that is so pitch perfect. I, she knows exactly what type of movie this is. This is a social satire. It is campy. It is over the top. And she is playing an archetype in, again, a satire. So she's she's doing exactly what she's supposed to be doing as opposed to certain members of her cast. Um, she plays sarcastic so well. So, well, the scene where she's talking to um, at the dinner table about, uh, oh, well, Carolyn, when you've um, you when you've uh, crafted and cooked a nutritious yet healthy and uh, tasty meal. I don't know what the exact quote is, but whatever. It's very sarcastic. And she fits right into the mold of the movie, which is the um, bored housewife, unfortunately, just in, you know, a, a end of the century kind of way. Yeah, I think it's a great performance. She is the best in terms of capturing the tone of the movie uh the rest of the cast is not so successful in that aspect but that only makes her stand out in comparison and it makes it even easier to like her yeah i think she's delightful in american beauty um it wasn't until recently thinking about the movie that i realized that annette benning as carolyn is kind of um she's sort of in drag in a way in this movie oh my god yeah like she's not like of course you know literally like a drag queen but she's she's putting on a facade you know she's um she's reforming herself to create this artificial image of suburban perfection with the way she presents herself in her house and how nitpicky she is with say the rosebuds in front of her house and everything about her has this feeling of fakeness but to her that's all that matters like her life revolves around the image of the perfect family of being the perfect working quote-unquote housewife and her sort of not really a descent but her detour when she starts having her affair and her breakdowns and all that um it's really kind of tragic in a way because this character has struggled for so long to achieve this thing that is ultimately stupid. And 
she kind of realizes that a little bit too late. And I really feel for her in the end. Like when she, I don't know if this was Annette Benning who made this decision or if it was Sam Mendes or what, but when she falls into the closet and grabs all of Lester's jackets, mm-hmm. something about that moment really touches me. And Annette Benning, like Cody was saying, really plays into the the black comedy of this film. And I think she totally fits it. Of every person in this film, Annette Benning is definitely the one who's who knows clearest what this movie's about and what it's really saying. So yeah, I'm a big fan of Annette Benning in this. Uh anyone else have anything? Uh she yeah. has a oh. I just wanted to oh sorry, you go ahead. Go, 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 go. You're okay. So she has a tough part because she uh the movie hates her and the movie wants us to hate her, which is really unfair because, um, you know, the things that the movie kind of shames her for, like having an affair are exactly the types of things it wants us to cheer the uh, Lester character on for. So it's, it, she has a tightrope to walk in terms of still being enjoyable to watch and not becoming annoying just based on what the script allows her to do. And I think she completely accomplishes that. I just wanted to give a shout out to whoever approved that hair of, having the Kate Gosselin, I want to speak to your manager hair, like a decade before it was in style. Like, Annette Benning is a goddamn trendsetter. Oh, it's it's very much like the Rachel, but five years past it being trendy, which is perfect for the character. It fits it so well. It fits yeah. the zaniness of this character. I like it. So next we have Janet McTeer, nominated for Tumbleweeds. This is her first of two nominations. Going into this, she wins the Golden Globe for comedy. She also wins the Gotham Award and with the National Board of Review. She's also a winner. She's recognized with the Chicago Film Critics as both actress and newcomer. And she's nominated with the Indie Spirit Awards, the London Film Critics, the New York Film Critics, and at SAG. In Tumbleweeds, Janet McTeer plays Mary Jo Walker, a mother who moves with her daughter from town to town all across the country um, in a sort of Sisyphusian effort to find the perfect place to settle. So, uh, Cody, how do you feel about Janet McTeer in Tumbleweeds? I think she's good. Uh, I think knowing who she is in real life, and I've, I've seen, actually seen her on stage, uh, she, in general, in theater, plays very... Uh, classic big characters. She's a British stage actress, and I mean, her biggest triumph before this was playing uh, the lead in A Doll's House on Broadway, which is, you know, classic theater. So getting to see her do a very kind of cinema verite movie like this that's very, you know, down to earth and realistic is really kind of nice. Uh, I think she brings a realistic warmth to the character. It would be easy to find kind of their escapades a little bit annoying or uh, perhaps. uh, pointless in a way, like you were saying, it's Sisyphusian, but you never stop cheering for her, uh, and I think that has to do with the humanity she brought to the character. Uh, yeah, uh, I think she's doing good work here. 1999 was a very good year for Janet McTeer, because she won a Tony, I believe, for A Doll's House, and then went in from a Tony to an Oscar nomination for this. Um, so 99 was a very good way to end the millennium for her, or that um, century, whatever the hell it was fucking called. Um, regarding McTeer, um, I know this character. Um, I see it. Uh, a friend of mine is a fucking cardboard cutout of this character. Um, I also make the joke that Tumbleweeds is the more serious mermaids 
because this is pretty much what Cher did in Mermaids, but with $2, and that was definitely more of a comedy. Um, I like it. I think this is real on point. It's someone that I could see in my everyday, day-to-day. It's someone, again, who I know every day-to-day or day-to-day. Um, and I kudos to McTeer on that accent work. Like, you, if you didn't know that she was British, your mouth would probably hit that floor when you heard her talk, uh, accept her Golden Globe or her Tony um, because she is brilliant. I mean, I'm an American who hears Southern American accents all the time and probably still couldn't do it that on point. Um, this is just a very realistic portrayal for me. I, I mean, I'm really into it. Um, there isn't anything I would complain about it. Um, yeah, I, I dig it. I dig it a lot. So I honestly cannot say that I know anyone like this character like you were saying, Joey, and yet when the movie's over, I believe that I do. Janet McTeer kind of has a way of really getting into your mind and convincing you that she is totally this woman and that you know all kinds of people like her. Like she feels almost, oh, she feels almost universal in a way when the movie's over for me. Maybe that's just me being weird, but she has this uh, very down to earth sincere nature about her even though this movie is you know kind of this silly little road movie about this mom and daughter just driving all over the place setting up shop for a few weeks a few months uh then packing up and moving to the next state um i still kind of just believe that it's real life that these are this is just how this mother and daughter operate and i think janet mcteer has a real charm about her and i wouldn't mind just hanging out with her at a bar one night just drinking and talking about nonsense. It's that kind of character for me. Did anyone uh, else have anything else to say about Janet McTeer? I just wanted to know, when when you guys watch this, did you notice that even though they're in California, everybody seems to have a Southern accent except for the boyfriend? I completely missed that they're in California. It felt like they were in Utah or something. Yeah. Like her co-worker at the office, Southern accent. The weird, weird Michael J. Pollard performance of whatever the fuck he was doing as the boss Southern accent. I mean, everyone was from the South living in San Diego. Hmm. I guess I didn't well, pick up on it. Well, thanks for coming to my Ted talk. It's been great. Um, I'm just double checking. It looks like the movie starts in Missouri and kind of travels West. So maybe mm-hmm. that's why. Could be. There we go. Whatever was happening, I was buying it. <laughs> All right. Next, we have Julianne Moore nominated for The End of the Affair. This is her second of five nominations, having been up for Boogie Nights prior. She does not win anything going into this, but she is recognized with the Globes, BAFTA, Chicago Film Critics, London Film Critics, New York Film Critics, and SAG. In The End of the Affair, Julianne Moore plays a woman named Sarah Miles, who is the former mistress of Ray Fiennes. And she ended their affair a couple of years before the film begins after making a promise to God to swear off Dick, but she struggles to keep that promise. So God being a spiteful bitch gives her a terminal illness. So Joey, how do you feel about Julianne Moore in the end of the affair? Uh, Okay. So uh, unlike Janet or yeah, unlike Janet McTeer's perfect accent work, this is a choice. Um, I'm really, really distracted 
by Julianne Moore's really fake British accent. It's probably on par with one of the worst British accents I've ever heard next to Amy Adams in American Hustle. Uh, yeah, I'm not a fan. This is not working for me whatsoever. I'm I'm not I'm not invested in this story. I'm not invested in what's going on. Uh, she's just a pouty girl in the long run. I don't know. I don't uh, no, I'm good. Cody. Uh, I didn't love this movie. First off, I thought it was uh, kind of a surprising parallel in terms of Ray Fine's filmography to The English Patient, which is another movie about people in the middle of war um, <laughs> being completely selfish and only caring about uh, their sex lives. So I didn't really care for the movie. Um, I thought Julianne was fine. I've obviously seen her do much better work. I would think this is pretty easy, easily her worst nomination. Um, I was kind of surprised until about like 60% of the way through the movie that she even was nominated in lead. And then she has that one scene where it switches to her perspective for the first time, where it's been, I think, Ray Fiennes narrating the movie up to that point. And there's a scene where she narrates a, a previously seen part of the movie where she acted really cold toward Ray Fiennes, but we find out through her narration that um, the character really was just putting that on to protect Ray Fiennes and herself. So she had to play two things at once, which I always think is impressive. Um, that being said, this performance didn't really do much for me. She's, you know, Julia Moore says she's a pro, so she's never outright bad usually, but yeah, it didn't really, didn't really blow me away. Yeah, in terms of the performance, I'm not over the moon about it. I think it is, um, it's a deceptively complex performance, I guess you could say, because she is sort of playing, like Cody was saying, she's playing more than one thing at once. And until the movie plays out and you really see this whole affair from all the different perspectives in order, you don't really get that right away. It's I'm, This might be one of those performances that, upon revisit you notice more things but um without the benefit of that i can see how this would be a performance where it feels like she's not really giving you a whole lot and she feels sort of restricted by the material um i kind of like this movie um in a way i'm very i have complex feelings on it i really dig the mood of it um the sort of melancholy always raining bluish mood of it really resonates with me I'm not really a fan of the religious politics, and I'm not saying that I'm outright against religion. It's the whole, I don't even know how to describe it, the 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 mix of God and sex and swearing off, or promising God that she'll swear off Ray Fiennes if God will just spare him, and then the God spares him, and then they can't, she can't hold up that promise, and so God, quote unquote, punishes her, and I don't know. I had weird feelings with that, the way that all played out for me. And um, it kind of complicated my feelings on the performance, uh, to be honest. But uh, yeah, like Cody was saying, Julianne Moore is not outright bad here. But um, this is definitely not the Julianne Moore performance that first comes to mind when you think of her great performances. Uh, did anyone else have anything to add? Yeah, I would have rather her be nominated this same year for Magnolia over this performance in terms of uh, yes. 99. Same. Yes. Could you imagine if, because so Julianne Moore for Magnolia would probably be supporting, right? Absolutely. Yeah, so I think could you imagine supporting. 
So she was a double nominee in what 2002 was it? Yeah. Could you imagine Hours if she was and, a double? Uh, if she was a double double nominee. Has, has anyone done that yet? She deserves. I don't think so. But could you all imagine if Julianne Moore was a double double nominee? I think Wouldn't that be like wild. Double double. I really do. <laughs> no, I, I would have that. had her be a single nominee this year, but I mean that would have been you know cool for the I record. Mean, yeah. I guess. I had, to, yeah. I had to pick one Magnolia, but still, it, I think that, that'd be rad. So our fifth and final lead actress nominee for 1999 is Meryl Streep, nominated for Music of the Heart. This is her 800th nomination, and she does not win anything going into this, but she is recognized at the Globes and the SAG. In Music of the Heart, Meryl plays Roberta, a recently divorced musician who lands a teaching gig at a school in Harlem, and she is very inspirational. So, Cody, <laughs> thoughts on Meryl in Music of the Heart? Oh, boy. This movie sucks. <laughs> yeah, it does. I, oh, boy. Um, Wes Craven's only non-horror film. So I'm a little bit – I'm glad that Wes Craven technically directed an Oscar-nominated performance as a fan of his other movies, but this ain't it. This is – just you know made for tv is even too good for this movie it was i I think meryl's not really doing anything this is when people complain about meryl getting nominated every year this is my first uh the first nomination that comes to mind i don't nothing in this inspires me in terms of like oh she must be you know lauded for this if it was any other actor doing it, they wouldn't have gotten nominated. Uh, the movie is stupid. Uh, the, <laughs> there's like four scenes where a kid is late to violin class and Meryl goes, well, where, where are you? Where have you been? And the kid's like, my grandma was shot. And Meryl has to go, oh, oh, dear. That happens like a bunch of times. And it, the movie never really makes <laughs> a point of it. So Meryl's not helped by being in a bad movie, but she's been good in bad movies before. So I, I just think she uh, i don't know I, nothing about this really excites me somebody else <laughs> take it away <laughs> oh boy i'm kind of afraid to touch this now um i don't love the movie but i love this role um i think Robert, roberta gaspari is a great character because she all she does is pick on kids and it's like one of my <laughs> favorite pastimes um so i really enjoy this movie even if it's not a great movie um I, I do think it's funny that Wes Craven, like, this is what he chose to do um, in his Miramax deal. Um, and it's also funny to me that Madonna was supposed to play this role, and Meryl didn't get it until, like, Madonna dropped out. Um, with that said, I don't think this is her worst nomination. Um, we've talked about one of her, what I think her bottom two nominations are, and one of those is Ironweed. The other one we haven't talked about yet. Um, but I think this one gets a lot of flack that it doesn't deserve. I wouldn't say this is an unworthy nomination because I actually, actually find it very good. Um, you get her character who starts off heartbroken and a mess and you get the arc of her getting her life together and kind of being the underdog and really getting something done. Um, and I think she's supported wonderfully by Gloria Estefan and, Angela Bassett, but I don't think it's her best nomination by far, but I don't think, I don't think this gives enough props as it deserves. I think it's a good nomination with a very good performance and I, I like it. So I think it does deserve the flack because I don't think this movie or Meryl are doing anything we've never seen before. It feels very 
it feels like a rehash of a rehash of a rehash of a rehash. And I don't think this movie is breaking any ground whatsoever. And it kind of just feels like everyone showed up to work and made a movie and somehow it got to the Oscars. Um, I find it kind of bland and I was sort of over it pretty quick. I don't think this movie really gives Meryl supporting players enough to do. Angela Bassett in particular feels very wasted in this role. Um, I'm glad she got paid, I guess. Um, <laughs> that's cool. Um, but it's a total waste of her talent, to be perfectly honest. Like, what is this? What opportunities is this movie giving Angela? It, I also don't know what opportunities this movie is giving Meryl besides allowing her to just pick on kids, which is always just a great thing. But... Yeah, I, I, I'm part of the flack. Uh, I I don't have any fond feelings for this film, or honestly. Y'all be having some haterade on Meryl tonight. I, I just, like, I can't even remember a moment that I'm like, oh, well, there she is. There's Meryl. Like, there's no, like, I don't know what her Oscar clip would have been. Like, again, the, the fifth time she had to act surprised that something bad happened to a kid, or, like, when she's I, crying on the phone with an ex-husband. I don't know. Like, nothing I to it, it stands out been... to me when she fired the workers and threw like whatever it was out the window. I don't know. I'm defending it. I like it. Y'all a bunch of haters, but it's okay. <laughs> I still love you. Let's not forget. Meryl learned how to play the violin for this role. So that's okay. how you get an Oscar. As, uh, as somebody who grew up playing the violin, I will say it is hard. So good on her for that, I guess. But she, it's not like she has to play a symphony. She just does a few moments of like, you know, just a little bit of playing. I don't know, whatever. Man, you guys are really gonna hate me in a couple it, minutes. Yeah, it kind of <laughs> just this, this just feels like a movie that was designed to make uh, white people feel good. I don't know. That's that's where I'm coming from with this movie. Well, if anyone in New York is listening to this, Roberta Gaspari still teaches violin. If you want to take a lesson with her, she's still alive. That's okay. pretty cool. All right. <laughs> so All right. shall we rank the supporting ladies? We Please. shall. As a recap, we had Catherine, Catherine Keener, Tony Collette, Angelina Jolie, Chloe Sevigny, and coming in at number five for me is Samantha Morton. She's great running into some glass, but other than that, I ain't got nothing for her. Cody? I uh, completely agreed. Samantha Morton, my number five, runs into glass real good. Uh, unfortunately, not much else stands out. She's uh, not a bad performance. She's just kind of a victim of a stupendous lineup where nobody's giving me a bad performance. So, yeah, she's my number five. Hey, Samantha Morton's also number five. Uh, it's probably of these five the most forgettable, I would say. So she gets my number five. So my number four is actually going to Tony Collette. And remember when I said when there was one thing that I had an issue with? I wanted to wait until we got to this. As much as I love Tony Collette, this is the prime example of trying to get an Oscar for a singular scene. And I am not a fan of that whatsoever. And that is the car scene. Um, I, I, it's not her fault that she doesn't have a lot going on in this story. Um, and she does really, really, really good with what she does have. But, uh, yeah, you're not getting an Oscar from me from a scene. And unfortunately, Tony Collette has to suffer at number four for that one. My number four is going to Ms. Catherine Keener, who I, I love in the movie. I think she's stupendous. She's a little bit of a, a victim of 
probably having the least to do of uh, the remaining four, unfortunately, which is nothing against her. Um, she plays sexy really well and manipulative, and uh, she's kind of, you know, like a, a pansexual goddess in the movie, which is great. She's really aloof. Uh, she kills the role. Unfortunately, she just has to sit number four in this amazing lineup. Angelina Jolie gets my number four. Uh, this is a roller coaster of a performance, and yet at the same time, I find myself kind of bored with it intellectually at a certain point in the movie. So Angelina Jolie gets my number four. Heard that. Well, Angelina Jolie is my number three. Um, she's good where she's good, and I like it, and she's feisty, and I'm into that. Like, I, I'm really fascinated by the human mind, so I love a good, like, batshit crazy role. Um, but I just, for some reason, can't help to think what if with Rose McGowan in this role. It's just she seems a better fit. And plus, two in the long run, like I said, I think I would have given the nomination to Whoopi Goldberg over Jolie. So with that, she can't win here for me. My number three is also going to be Angelina Jolie. I think she's uh, great in the role. She gets a lot of she's she gets the benefit of a lot of really fun, meaty scenes and dialogue to play on. She gets to play crazy and sad and manipulative, and it's you know a joy to watch. It's very fun. But yeah, number three. Um, so this is where it got a little tricky for me, but I think I'm gonna go with Chloe Sevigny for number three. I think she's wonderful in Boys Don't Cry, and she gives a totally realistic performance in it, but there's something about the other two that kind of just pull me along a little bit more, so Chloe gets my number three. Heard that. Well, I have left Katherine Keener and Chloe Sevigny. Um, I'm, I'm stuck between a really good comedic performance that doesn't have any faults to it and a really good dramatic performance by an actress who has her own acting style, but faults at the end for me. Um, I gotta say in the long run, Keener is my runner up and I'm giving it to Chloe Sevigny. Um, despite that one, despite that one big fault for me at the end, um, I think, Oh, let me start with Keener. Um, Keener is perfect. She's on point. She's magical in this role. And I kind of wish she would have been able to um, get more roles to show off her comedic chops. I mean, she did in 40-Year-Old Virgin, which I think was great. But, um, yeah, 70 is just – she's too realistic for my own liking. And, therefore, I got to give it to her. Uh, my number two is going to go to Chloe Sevigny. Like we all said, she's – hyper-realistic in this movie. She's heartbreaking. She's a perfect, like, 90s uh, acting style in a town that wouldn't appreciate that, if that makes sense. Uh, she's fantastic. She's been number two, which means my number one is Miss Tony Collette for The Sixth Sense. Um, I gotta give a little boost to um, a horror performance. I love some spooky shit, obviously. And um, uh, <laughs> I, so I, it is mostly for the car scene, like Joey was saying, but I also think... Throughout the rest of the movie, she um, plays, you know, like we all said, this um, this woman who will do anything for her son. She's also doing really great accent work. Always got to give a bonus for that. You never notice that she's from Australia. You would never think that. Um, but, yeah, that car scene is really just, I mean, most actors would be lucky to get anything close to the material she's given in that. And she absolutely kills it. She's my winner. Uh, Catherine Keener is my runner-up, and I give the win to Tony Collette as well. Uh, Catherine Keener is tremendous in being John Malkovich. That movie is so queer, and Catherine Keener really taps into it. And I love her cold aloofness in addition to the sort of uh, 
fiery nature within her. And I'm never bored with her character and being John Malkovich. But Tony Collette in The Sixth Sense is just a really special performance. Um, perhaps it's just personal for me, but it really works for me um, on a really deep level. And yeah, she de- definitely has, you know, the car scene, which is like her go-to scene when referencing The Sixth Sense. But I think she is a standout throughout the film, even visually, like that scene where they're at the party when uh, the son gets thrown into the the closet, the cupboard, and she or they're at that party and she's wearing this like neon green shirt that just she stands out in every way, visually and emotionally. And I think it's a really smart performance. It's very carefully crafted from the page. And Tony Collette creates a really beautiful person out of it. So yeah, she's my winner for the year. So we got two Collettes in the seven year. Heard that. And our leading ladies, as a reminder, were Hillary Swank in Boys Don't Cry, Annette Benning in American Beauty, Janet McTeer in Tumbleweeds, Julianne Moore in The End of the Affair, and Meryl Streep in Music of the Heart. And my number five goes to Meryl for Music of the Heart. It's just not very good. So, Cody, your number five. Uh, ditto, ditto. Number five, Meryl Streep. It's not great. She's, you know, not hurting for hardware, so I don't feel bad saying it. Yep, number five, Streep. Joey? Julianne Moore at number five. That accent is terrible. This is definitely, I will echo Cody. This is not her best performance. Mm, I'm good. Five. Yep, Julianne Moore. Well, Julianne Moore is my number four. Um, it's just simply not her best outing. Um, perhaps this is a, a, a performance that you, you peel back layers on with further views, but that would require further views. And so Julianne Moore gets my number four. Julianne Moore also gets my number four. She, you know, she doesn't have uh, a ton of interesting or exciting stuff to do. Uh, she dies all right, I guess. That's spoiler or whatever. Um, yeah, number four. We've seen her be better. This is not one of them. Sorry, Julianne. Number four, Meryl Streep. Um, while I don't think it's her worst performance, and I clearly like her a lot more than you guys do, um, I think she's good in an enjoyable film that's not very great, if that makes any sense whatsoever. Um, but I do like her more than you guys, so I gotta at least place her at four. Uh, my number three goes to Janet McTeer for Tumbleweeds. Uh, Janet McTeer is perfectly fine, and I enjoyed her in Tumbleweeds, but I can't really say that she wowed me in any way, so she gets my middle spot at number three. Janet McTeer also gets my number three. Again, knowing her stage work and the kind of classic, um, not Shakespearean, but classic theater that she likes to do. And she does Shakespeare, too. It makes it even more impressive that she's playing this really grounded, warm character in a very American movie. So she gets my number three. <sighs> Hillary Swank, number three. Um, I think Swank is doing really, really good work here. It, it's, it's a role and it's a performance in a movie that touches me on a very personal level. But... Um, for me, my top three was were extremely hard, so this is like a gun-to-head type scenario, which I don't know if that's the best fucking wordage for this character. Holy shit. Um, but yeah, Hilary Swank would go at number three. So my runner-up for the year is Annette Benning in American Beauty, and I give the win to Hilary Swank. I think Annette Benning is really fun in American Beauty, and I think she's really tapping into what the movie's going for, and she plays the part 
just pitch perfectly. But Hillary Swank in Boys Don't Cry is just one of those performances that feels on another level. Um, it feels like it's on multiple levels at the same time. Um, I don't know really what else to say. It's just uh, it's a it's a movie and a performance that truly wows me every time. So Hillary Swank is my winner for the year. Cody? Brandon, you and I have the exact same lineup. Annette Bening number two for me, and my winner is Hillary Swank. Uh, just like you said, Annette Bening is perfect in the movie. She, not to, just to echo myself, she gets the satire right. She plays sarcastic so well. She's so fun to watch. But yeah, Hillary Swank is really just undeniable in this movie. I think she's it's a monumental performance that is necessary for um, the you know the 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 character and the movie to work. It is fantastic. She's one of my favorite Best Actress winners. Hillary Swank's my winner. Well, we agree on Annette Benning being number two, which means I'm giving Janet McTeer the Oscar. Um, Annette, I, there's nothing else I can pretty much say with that you guys already haven't that covers how I feel um, because everything you guys have said is on point. <sighs> there's something about McTeer's performance because I know this person that it literally hits so close to home in a way where I don't feel like McTeer is acting at all. It's one of those realistic nuances that is just so natural and so it, it blows my mind how much she, how much McTeer feels like Mary Jo. Like if McTeer disappeared forever, there's Mary Jo. Um, and I have to give it to her for that. It's just, it, 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 it's amazing work here. Um, so yeah, I'm giving it to Jenna McTeer. All right. So I had uh, Hillary Swank and Tony Collette, and uh, so did uh, Cody. And Joey, you had uh, Janet McTeer and Chloe Sevigny, right? Correct. All right. Um, we always ask, uh, was anybody surprised by anyone's picks? Um, not really. I mean, we all picked good performances, if <laughs> that makes sense. Um, if if you had picked Streep, Joey, I would have been a little mad at you. But other than that, you know, we all did good. I thought Streep would be higher for you, but I didn't think she would get your win. But for some reason, I did think she'd be a little higher for you. Well, I will say not neither of you surprised me with Colette. I kind of knew going into this exactly who you were going for. I couldn't tell for either of you, though, until we really started talking, if it was going to be Benning or Swank. I knew I was going to be alone with McTeer. I usually am on that one. Um, but yeah, you guys, I knew you were going for Colette. <laughs> that did not take me by surprise. McTeer's great, though. I would I would not be mad if she had won for this. She just is, you know, a, a nice second runner-up for me. Well, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. My original lineup, it, which I had up until we started talking, and it really got me going, was more Benning, Swank, Street, McTeer. And then, like, Talking about it more, I was like, eh, let me put Streep down to four. I have to move Benning up, but Swank stayed the same the entire time. Um, that's just a really hard, a really solid lineup. Yeah, they're both pretty good lineups. There's not a humongous uh, uh, clanger among them. Yep, yep. Now, as with every season finale that we've done so far, um, we like to talk about the actual winners really quick. So it's a nice little bonus bonus here. Whoa. Um, Right, right. Uh, so what we do, if you, I mean, hopefully you've heard the other ones, um, is that we talk, we don't get into so much detail as each winner of 
in each year for each category. Um, but we do rank on who we think as a whole without, again, going into detail, who is, quote unquote, the worst winner and then the best winner. Um, so with supporting in 1990, we had Whoopi Goldberg. In 91, we had Mercedes Rule. In 92, we had Marissa Tomei. In 93, Anna Paquin. In 94, Diane Weist. In 95, Mir Servino. In 96, Juliette Binoche. In 97, Kim Basinger. In 98, Judy Dench. And then, of course, this year, we had 99, Angelina Jolie. Um, my worst winner out of here is actually number 10 due to the fact that it's the wrong category, and that's Juliette Binoche for The English Patient. Um, she's just in the wrong category in her supporting or in her lead role in the supporting category. And therefore she's got to be my number 10. Cody. My number 10 is Kim Basinger in LA Confidential. I haven't seen all of the winners in this category, but of the ones I've seen, which are many, she is my least favorite of all time. Best supporting actress winner. Sorry, Kim just doesn't do anything for me. Kim Basinger is also my number 10. Um, she's a look and that's about it. She just doesn't really do a whole lot for me as a, as a viewer. Uh, my number nine, as I tweeted for her consideration, um, is Kim Basinger for playing a pretty woman. She's quite striking. Yep, that's it. That's all she had. So she is my number nine. My number nine is Juliette Binoche in The English Patient. Um, not necessarily because of category fraud. I just It doesn't really work for me. I don't love that movie. That's all. Juliette Binoche is also my number nine. Uh, pretty much the same reasons. Um, Juliette Binoche is great. Uh, the English Patient just doesn't give her all that much to do. All right. Well, my number eight is Mira Sorvino. Um, just doesn't work for me. So number eight, Cody. My number eight is also Mira Sorvino. I think she's uh, funny, but it's not the kind of, you know, uh, amazing performance that I like to give Oscars to. My number eight goes to Judy Dench. I uh, love Judy Dench, but I feel like this performance is more of a presence. And so uh, she gets my number eight. Well, that's funny because Judy Dench is actually my number seven for pretty much the same reason. So what about you, Cody? Judy Dench is also my number seven. Uh, you know, not much to do. She's quippy and sassy, and yeah. My number seven goes to Angelina Jolie. Uh, for a character who is given a lot to do, I find myself kind of uh, uh, over it after a while, like I said a few minutes ago. So Angelina Jolie, number seven. Man, this sounds like a merry-go-round at this point, because my number six is Angelina Jolie. <laughs> um, I'm just echoing Brandon here in one last step. Uh, yeah, again... I would have put Whoopi Goldberg in for the nomination. So Jolie does a little bit more for me, but it's not by much here. My number six is going to be a Mercedes rule in the Fisher King, who is great. Uh, she just uh, is in a tough lineup. My number six is Mira Sorvino. I think she's pretty funny in mighty Aphrodite, but um, she's not as a uh, well-rounded as I would like. Heard that. Well, my number five goes to Miss Anna Paquin. Um, she's a cute kid in a cute role, spouting cute lines. Cody? My number five also goes to Anna Paquin. Uh, she's good. She's fun. But she has Rosie Perez's Oscar. <laughs> hey, we all, we all agree because Anna Paquin's my number five for the same reasons. All right. Number four. I got to give it to Mercedes Rule. I like me a good snappy character our snippy character, and of course, she's as New York as it comes. So Mercedes rule number four. My number four goes to our winner of this year, Miss Angelina Jolie. Uh, she gets a ton to do. She's a blast to watch. I said everything I need to say. Moving on. 
Mercedes Rule is my number four. She's one of my favorite things about the Fisher King, and I think she's fantastic. But um, I'm just a little bit more fond of who is in my top three. So Mercedes Rule, number four. Heard that. Number three, Diane Wiest. Anytime someone wants to talk, I just want to tell them to don't speak, just like uh, Diane Wiest here in Bullets Over Broadway. And it's my favorite Woody Allen film. So um, Diane Wiest, number three. My number three is going to go to Marissa Tomei for My Cousin Vinny, one of the coolest Oscar wins. I think it's, you know, just classic comedy. She kills it. Marissa Tomei. Marissa Tomei is my number three, uh, basically the same reasons. Uh, She's a breath of fresh air. She's a firecracker. She's everything. Uh, But the other two just kind of edge her out just a little bit for me. Number two for me is Marissa Tomei, which means I think the best winner of this category of the decade was Whoopi Goldberg and Ghost. Uh, Marissa Tomei, I think, is, again, like Cody just said, it's one of the coolest nom- or coolest wins and of course like i just love quoting imagine your idea you know that fucking monologue is brilliant um regarding whoopi goldberg it's fucking whoopi goldberg and ghost i mean i don't have to say much it, it speaks for itself cody my number two is gonna be diane we symbols over broadway it's also my favorite woody allen movie um and she's just perfect in it like that don't speak moment that you quoted is also just like iconic it's, it's a great performance and my number one's also will be goldberg and ghost it's um uh, a performance for the ages it is funny it is uh smart it's great will be gets it Diane Weist is my runner-up, and Whoopi is my winner. Uh, Diane Weist, yeah, perfect in Bullets Over Broadway. She is a, an actor like Annette Bening in American Beauty who's very aware of what this movie is and who her character is. But when I think of the supporting ladies of the 90s, Whoopi is the person that I think of. She, I think, uh, is the perfect uh, figure head for the supporting actresses of the 90s. So Whoopi is my winner. Wow, we agreed there. Yeah. Kudos to you. It's hard to deny. She's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Moving on to the leads. Mm -hmm. All right. All right. So as a recap or refresher, your winners of the 90s were Kathy Bates in Misery, Jodie Foster in The Silence of the Lambs, Emma Thompson in Howard's End, Holly Hunter in The Piano, Jessica Lange in Blue Sky, Susan Sarandon in Dead Man Walking, Frances McDormand in Fargo, Helen Hunt in As Good As It Gets, Gwyneth Paltrow in Shakespeare in Love, and Hilary Swank in Boys Don't Cry. And I'm giving Helen Hunt the 10th place spot. It's just a movie and a performance that just doesn't really do a whole lot for me. So, Cody, who's your number 10? My number 10 is Jessica Lange in Blue Sky. It's a movie I really don't like. I obviously love Jessica Lange, and I actually probably would have given her the award um, from what I've seen of the nominees that year, but she just uh, has to be the last in this lineup for me. Um, I'm giving number 10 to Frances McDormand. Here's another category fraud um, win here. She's definitely not the lead in Fargo, as that belongs to William H. Basie, which is funny because he's in the supporting category. Um yeah, Frances McDormand, just due to category frauds, at number 10 for me. Gwyneth Paltrow gets my number nine. Um, I like Shakespeare in Love as a movie, but for some reason, she just doesn't do a whole lot for me in the leading part, so she gets my number nine. Uh, Emma Thompson gets my number nine, who I usually love. Um, I think she's okay in Howard's End. I don't think she gets a ton to do. I know that's probably unpopular, but I prefer her in Sense and Sensibility, personally. Um, Emma Thompson is my number nine. That's all I got. (laughs) Emma Thompson is my number eight uh, for similar reasons. I think she has a real charm about her, but ultimately this movie just doesn't do a whole lot for me. 
my number eight is going to be Holly Hunter and the Piano. Um, kind of surprised that she won for this role, given uh, the other types of stuff she's nominated for. It's very different, but maybe that's why she won. She's not bad, just doesn't really do much for me. Uh, my number eight is actually going to Helen Hunt. Um, it's just something, there's something about that role that just, for her winning, it rubs me the wrong way. Um, so I have to give Helen Hunt number eight. Jessica Lang gets my number seven for Blue Sky. I uh, love Jessica Lang, but um, the movie is a little messy, and yeah, she's a little messy too, and it kind of works in a weird way, but ultimately it's uh, not my thing. So my number seven goes to Gwyneth Paltrow. I also do enjoy uh, Shakespeare in Love, and I think she's very charming in the role. It doesn't really blow me away, and of that year, she's probably number three or four personally for me, but yeah, she's not bad. Um, my number seven is Holly Hunter. Um I kind of agree with Cody there. She's been nominated for better. And with Angela Bassett right there, it just kind of pisses me off still. So Holly Hunter is my number seven. Holly Hunter is my number six. Um, it's a unique performance, and I do find it kind of haunting in its own weird way. But um, it doesn't do quite as much for me. So she gets my number six. My number six is Susan Sarandon, Dead Man Walking. I think she is uh, a, a really good force in this movie. I do enjoy her, but yeah, she's my number six. Susan Sarandon is also my number six. Um, it's not Susan's best nomination, so why she won for it is a little mystery to me, but it's a little bit better than the others, so she's at least halfway. Well, Susan Sarandon's my number five. Uh, she's This character is deceptively complex in a way, or at least I think Susan Sarandon plays it as such, and I do enjoy it for what it is but um i guess i just i'm more fond of uh, who i have left so susan sarandon number five my number five goes to helen hunt and as goes it gets i know it's not a very popular win but i personally find her very charming and winning well my number five is actually going to paltrow um i think shakespeare in love is a great little movie i think jeffrey Rosh is the best thing about that damn movie um as a whole she does pretty good i definitely think it gets a lot of hate because of who else is nominated but yeah she's number five for me francis mcdormand gets my number four um i love marge i think she plays her beautifully one of my favorite heroes in uh that era of cinema so i have to give francis mcdormand number four my number four is kathy bates in misery which is just uh an amazing out there gonzo performance that's a joy to watch and really kind of amazing that she won the oscar for this well, my number four is also Kathy Bates for literally one thing. The damn cock-a-duty car. Brilliant. Uh, my number three is Kathy Bates. I think she's batshit crazy and a delight to watch. But um, who I have left is they just uh, do a little bit more for me intellectually, I guess. I don't know if that's uh, condescending or what, but Kathy Bates gets my number three. My number three goes to Hilary Swank for all the reasons we talked about for probably half an hour during this very podcast. So moving on. <laughs> wow. Cody, you and I are really lining up here with many of these. Um, Hilary Swank is also my number three. I think this is a brilliant win. I love this win. I don't take from it. And I think it's a very important win for the time. Um, so yeah, Hilary Swank at number three. Um, I'm giving Hilary Swank my runner up spot and Jodie Foster gets my win. Uh, Hilary Swank, I mean, y'all just heard it. She's great in Boys Don't Cry. Don't need to rehash it again. But uh, Jodie Foster in The Silence of the Lambs is my favorite lead actress winner of the 90s. I love Clary Starling. It's a truly great character. Awesome hero. She kicks ass and I love her. And Silence of the Lambs is my favorite movie. So Jodie Foster gets my number one. 
So my runner-up is Francis McDormand in Fargo, which means my winner is also Jodie Foster in Silence of the Lambs. Uh, I really love Francis McDormand in Fargo. She's Marge's one of my favorite characters of all time, and Francis plays her perfectly. She plays her as uh, hopeful and naive, but not stupid. She's still, you know, she's very smart. And she <laughs> saves the day, uh, but she shows that, you know, goodness and humanity can still win out in a world that if feels uh the opposite and yeah for all the reasons you said brandon uh jody foster best of the decade easily sounds the lambs is an amazing movie jody perfectly plays um a young hero who has to make it in the world of men both criminals and people she works with it's an amazing performance and in an amazing film as much as I love the film i gotta give jody foster the runner-up and give the best one of the decade to jessica lang um jody foster everything you guys just said brilliant Beautiful, iconic. Lang, though, this is honestly, I think, her best work in film next to Francis. Um, I, I I know the movie gets a lot of shit, but I think this performance is absolutely wonderful. And it, her win was richly deserved, um, no matter what anyone feels about it. But then again, I was the one here who also defended Meryl Streep today. So we'll see how that turns out with people. All right. So I say Lang and Goldberg. I say Foster and Goldberg. I also say Foster and Goldberg. I love that, Joey. My number 10 was your number one. <laughs> I know. As soon as you said that, I was like, God Sorry. damn it. Fuck. It's a great – there are 10 pretty decent winners, though. I mean, there's been worse decades for sure. You guys really don't think Frances McDormand, though, is in the wrong category? I don't. I think she's a lead. I think she's a lead. I think William H. Macy is in the wrong category. I think they're I th- – yeah, I'd say Macy and uh, McDormand are both leads. Yeah. I know McDormand doesn't show up till like, half an hour, but then it's, like, she, it's, she just it's... wins that film. It's her show once she's there. Uh, <laughs> I, I I will agree to disagree. But that okay. was fun. Yeah. That was fun. How agreeable um, that was. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm so glad that we finally got you on. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. This was so fun, guys. Time. Seriously. Thanks for having me on. Of course. And this will... Let's see. I'm trying to do the math really quick. This will be premiering probably around the second week of December. So like do you... That. Yeah, do you have anything around that time that you can think of that you'd like to plug or plug in general? Um, I hope I had a good Halloween. <laughs> sure I did. Hope it's not too cold here in Chicago by then. But no, nothing else to plug really besides just my general handles and stuff. Which are? Which are <laughs> on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd, everywhere you can find me at CodyMonster91. I write a lot and do a lot of podcasting for Next Best Picture, so check that out. And, of course, my my podcast is Halloweeners, a horror movie podcast, where my co-host Kira and I go through um, one horror movie per episode. It's a very fun but also very um, analytical tone. It's goofy yet smart, I think. I don't know. You guys tell me. There's a lot, <laughs> but, of, yeah. there's a lot of singing. Uh, yeah, we both, uh, did musical theater together in college. So there's a lot of singing, um, unfortunately or fortunately, I don't know, but yeah, check us out. We're fun. I enjoy it. A good time of the year to listen to it. It is. It is. Um, there, there's one thing that I didn't get to do earlier that we had kind of started, um, with the season was I have a, an Academy Awards book that has a bunch of facts about like every year, um, with the, each ceremony, it is called the Academy Awards, a complete unofficial history by Jim Piazza and Gail Kinner. Um, and in the 1999 ceremony, really quick, this was the first year the Academy was outraged by the Wall Street Journal, who was the first outside source to poll members before the awards. For the record, the journal guessed every winner except Best Actor. It predicted Denzel Washington would nab the gold in a squeaker. I don't even know what the fuck a squeaker means, but that is their words, not mine. Just barely, I think, is what they mean. Heard, heard. Well, guys, until next time, I'm Joey Gentili. And I'm Brandon Stanwyck. 
And I'm Cody Derricks. And this has been Academy Queens, your LGBT guide through the Academy Awards per decade, per category. And this has been the class of 1999. On a one, two, three, goodbye. One, two, three. Bye. Bye. Bye.